everybody out there. Welcome back to the Weekly Impact Podcast. There's always a lot of energy with that song. I think we chose the right song. There's always a lot oh, of yeah. dancing around the table as that's going on. It's a on. huge dance party every time. <laughs> um, but welcome back to the podcast. Today is Tuesday, June 19th, and we are actually just the same as last week, joined by the same guests today, uh, Jacob Kingsley, Daniel Yelverton, Michael Miller is That's back. That's me. What you been up to, Michael? Everything. Everything? No, the cool thing is um, I'm working with Veronica, and I've, I'm volunteering as a chaplain now for uh, Clinton Memorial Hospital, so I am stoked to awesome. do that. Michael, I think that's great. I just know your heart for the community, for the people around you, and so that is super awesome that you are able to do that. Thanks. Yeah, so um, we are reading John 2 today, and um, always in the ESV version of the Bible. Uh, who would like to start today? I'd like to volunteer, Daniel. All right, yeah. sounds good. Uh, John chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out to take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drew them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken forty-six years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name, and when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them, because he knew all people, and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. All right, so that was all the reading for John chapter 2. What observations um, do you have? Because usually we go into observations, application, and prayer. Well, one thing I see, um, first off, I, I, we have to be honest, chapter 2 is weird because we know that 
this 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 miracle of of turning water into wine is like for Jesus' first thing. But we also know that this whole deal with the him chasing out money changers and all this stuff at the temple is really one of the last things that happens. So it's odd, right? And a lot of people kind of criticize this. And they say, well, did Jesus do this twice or what's going on here? So we kind of have to look at this thing in, in the literary context of, of, you know, what's going on? Where does this fit in Scripture? Keep in mind, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they have a different way of, of telling the gospel story than John does. See, I mean, John's gospel opens up like, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God. And it's and he talks about the light and the darkness and all this stuff. And you're like, whoa, that's not how the other Gospels start. Mm-hmm. The other Gospels are more of a narrative, right? So so John's doing something different. So we have to think, what is John doing here? John's not telling so much what Jesus did. He's talking about who Jesus is. And in John 1, we see, huh. you know, about, about Jesus being the light, about Jesus basically being the Messiah, about Jesus being God and how he's always been and always will be. So we see that kind of picture. And in John 2, we start seeing what I would say his left and right limits. So this is what I wanted to share with you guys that I wanted to like not have the spoiler alert, you know, for these guys. I wanted to give them something new in the podcast instead of talking about it before. So the way I see this, I've been a soldier for a million years and I'm finally retired. But when we go to the range, they give us left and right limits. So when you look at the range, you know, when you're going to go fire your weapon, at the far left, there's a pole, and the guys say, hey, don't shoot that far left, right? That's as far left as you can aim. They have the same thing on the right. And then when you get in your specific lane, they have, like, these little mini markers in your lane. Like, hey, that's your marker for the left, and that's mark- your marker to the right. So where you have left and right limits, you know not to go too far to the left and too far to the right. I think what John does here is he, he, he shows who Jesus is and gives him some left and right limits. We know, now look, let's be honest, because this is, this is hard to take in. These are two very controversial stories about Jesus. The, the most liberal of Christians look at this, at this story about Jesus chasing people out, and they're like, man, I can't believe Jesus did that, you know? And the most conservative of Christians like, I can't believe that Jesus turned water into wine. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So we see now what we don't see is Jesus dancing on tables, right? We don't see Jesus going up and murdering these dudes that are they're doing stuff in the temple. So we see who Jesus is in his personality by seeing some left and right limits. Yes, Jesus went to a wedding feast. He went to a party and he turned. I mean, he literally brought the booze. And that's hard. <laughs> guys, that's hard to take in when you're like, man, Jesus did what? Mm-hmm. But we don't see Jesus sinning. We don't see Jesus being drunk. We, we, we see Jesus bringing alcohol to a party, which is hard to take in. But that's as far left as you're ever going to see Jesus, mm-hmm. right? And again, him, him chasing people out of the temple is as far to the right as you're ever going to see Jesus. Mm-hmm. You're not, you're not going to see Jesus swinging a sword. You're not going to see Jesus. I mean, we don't know if he actually struck anybody or not. We know he chased people out, but that's as far right as we see. And that, and that, and these, these stories should make us slightly uncomfortable, because we see that's as far. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. We don't see anything farther, but that's as far, and we should be a bit uncomfortable. But but yet we see that's the limits of Jesus. Yeah. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but that's just kind of the reason why I think John place these two stories in the same chapter as he's writing a book 
to explain who he thinks Jesus is. Yeah. So that's that's a mouthful. I don't want to know what you guys think. <laughs> I think that's really cool, though. I like that perspective on it. I think, too, um, from some perspectives, people might be like, oh, you know, there's a story about Jesus changing water into wine, and so we should John should just compensate and, like, throw in Jesus being holy just to, like, cover up that whole alcohol business. But it, it's not like one is, is trying to overcome the other or that one is trying to make a greater point. But I agree that John... His purpose was to prove and, and to attest to the fact that Jesus was God. Who is Jesus? And so all throughout, when you read these different miracles, there are all these different signs and different statements of who Jesus is, yes. proving that he is God. And so even when he's you know cleansing the temple, they're like, well, do you have any signs to back up what you're doing here? And so I think one cool thing, and, and you can point to all these different things, but Jesus is, is turning water into something else. Just like as um, the Israelites in the Old Testament were coming out of Egypt, they came to this place that had a lot of water, but it was too bitter to drink. Mm. And God allowed Moses to perform a miracle to turn the water sweet. And so again, Jesus is, is mirroring and showing that he has the same authority, that he can do the same power mm -hmm. that God did all the way back in the Old Testament. Yeah. And so he really is proving through these circumstances that he is God. And I think there's also danger in these stories. Um, and, and, and the reason why I talk my left and right thing is that if we center who we think Jesus is, on either of these stories, I think we can get a bad picture of who Jesus is. If we mm. think mm. Jesus is all about the party, he's mm. all about he's all about the wine, he's all about, all about drinking, he's all about having a good time, I think that we can miss his essence. And on the opposite side, if we think Jesus is all about, you know, chasing people out, he's all about chastising people, he's all about whips, he's all about hurting people, then I think that we can have a bad picture there. So I don't think that we should get too focused on this is who Jesus is. No, these these are, again, limits of who Jesus is. Well, John ends his book uh, in John twenty one twenty five. It's John says this that now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Mm -hmm. Where ever one of them be written, uh, I suppose the world itself couldn't contain the books yep. that it would be written. So John is saying at the end of his book that he was very specific about the things that he included into. I guess the book that he wrote and the, how he how Jesus portrayed and how the Holy Spirit inspired John. So is that is that why you guys think that this is in here? Is it to, to do the bookends, or do you think there's other things that we we can glean from these stories? Well, there's always a ton of things that we can take from it. Yeah, absolutely. like like Jacob said. I mean, I had I had you know something that I took from it, and you have a, another thing that you take from it. There's so much. <laughs> what you just quoted there is funny because. Um, there are tons of books about just what we read, yeah. you know? So, I mean, even what we have, there's, there's so much that we can take from, from e even, you know, one story of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that there, Jesus does everything intentionally. I don't think Jesus came to the earth and was like, well, I know at the end of my life, you know, I'm going to die on the cross. I'm going to raise back to life. But until then, let's see what happens. <laughs> Everything Jesus did was intentional. Every word he spoke was intentional. So I think we, you know, wherever you're reading, um, and as Jesus is doing things, we can look closely, not to scrutinize and be like, was Jesus really right for doing this thing? Um, you know, was he sinning? Because Jesus didn't sin. But we can look and be like, 
but why did he do what he did? What is the significance behind it? And so I think even a small thing that, that I love seeing in this story of Jesus turning water into wine is the response of the people, the response of, of the wedding coordinator, so to speak. He comes and he's like, you know, most people, you know, they bring out the, the good wine first, and then people get drunk on it. And then they don't realize that you've brought out the really bad wine later. Yeah. Um, but they ran out of the original wine, and Jesus makes more, and it was better than anything else that they had had. They're like, why did you save the best for last? Mm -hmm. And this just shows the character of God, that God does not do things halfway. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously it's a miracle, but the nature of God is excellence. The nature of God is above and beyond. The nature of God is the best. And so when we experience what God has in our lives, it's not going to be subpar. It's not going to be bringing out the leftovers in our life. That doesn't always mean that it's easy or enjoyable. Sometimes the best in our life are hard circumstances. But we can count that if we are following God, the way Jesus does things is nothing but the best. Mm. Yeah. And I like too, it, like it makes me, even though he worked a miracle, it makes me kind of see the humanity in him too, because he is, you know, he's fully God, but he's fully man. And that's just like, that's something that someone nice would do if you had the ability to, for someone at their wedding. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a special day for them. They run out of wine. You want people to continue to have a good time there and, and, and partake in it the way that normally they would expect to. And that's just something nice to do. I mean, even though it was a miracle, it's still just, to me, kind of makes me, you know, feel more connected to him on the human side as well, because that's something that I would think I would do, you know, mm -hmm. be like, let me take care of, it. I have the ability to provide this and continue to, for this day to be special for you. Let me do that, you know. Mm -hmm. Another key that I think is important with both these stories, I, I don't remember whether it's in this passage when you talk with a cleansing of the temple or another passage, but the same story, that what we see there's there are results that that Jesus had many followers. So, you know, so one of the things that happens is when Jesus acts with, like what Jacob was saying, when he acts with intention, that there's there's a fruit, there's a result. Um, you know, you know, we, we like to see Jesus and Paul and others saying that um, you know, you'll know them by their fruits, and and we we can see that that you know Jesus is is good because of the fruits of his labor. You know, when when he does this, it's not just you know to have a good time; it's also that, that people are, are wowed and they see the signs and wonders and they're like, this guy is something and they want to follow Jesus. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think it's cool too, <clears throat> in verse 11, when it talks about that Jesus did this in Canaan Galilee to manifest his glory. Uh, and, and it's interesting is when you look at how Jesus interacted in this situation, he probably could have done a lot of things, become more showman-like and to become, draw a lot more attention to himself because even the master calls over the bridegroom and he's like, dude, this is awesome. Like you, you have made, like saved the best <laughs> wine for this. And the servants knew it says like in quotations, the servants knew, but there was a limited amount of people that knew. Yeah. And so Jesus was using his glory. He was manifesting his glory and what he was giving to other people and, and what he was empowering and passing on to others. And I think that was kind of like a first sign of what was to come, that it wasn't about bringing so much necessarily uh, attention to himself or, you know, doing like you see so much of Jesus's miracles are not like magic tricks. They're not mm -hmm. like through it. Like he doesn't yeah. just like pick up mountains and, and throw them into the sky and destroy the moon and then put it back together. You know, he doesn't right. do that. Like, I mean, he could, but it's, it's a, it's, it's how he can one benefit the situation, but how can he pour into other people? How can mm -hmm. he benefit other people? And in this way, he just, he does something that's so under the radar 
uh, and it's his first one. I mean, think about it. First time coming on the scene, first time to reveal himself. He's it's very much under the radar and giving it to giving uh, the glory, giving it to somebody else in that way. But they knew what was really going on. And I just mm-hmm. think that's a character trait of God is that so much of what God is doing is that he gives to other people and then it manifests itself in the most great and amazing things and he gets the glory mm-hmm. because of what he's giving and what he's doing through him. Mm. Yeah. Uh, again, I think that's part of what of what John's trying to do. Uh, the fact that you see that is <laughs> a testament to his success because, again, I think he's trying to tell us who Jesus is. And we do see this really crazy attribute of, of God in, in this story and in other stories is that He's humble. Mm-hmm. Like when you read the Old Testament, the last word that you think to describe God is humble. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. You think more like, you know, all powerful and tough and mighty, you know, um, like like a superhero. Yeah. Right? <laughs> but but here we see Jesus being humble. And, and I think that's an interesting thing that John points out in this story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I just keep thinking like God's been famous for a long time at this point. And he's <laughs> been really powerful for There's a long that. time at this point, And he doesn't have the need to be showy in all situations you know that i mean that's just how that hit me yeah he's kind of been there done that and he's like no Mm -hmm. now with his observation part the the first two stories i'm like i got it great right (laughs) but the end is where i struggle is to figure out how this fits here and after these two stories and keep in mind okay john didn't write chapters Right. right, he wrote a story like so. So they they could have ended this and put chapter three starting here, which that wouldn't have made much sense either. So this little this little paragraph here, it kind of, to be honest, it kind of confuses me. So I'm I'm curious on what you guys think. It's it's where Jesus knows what's in man. Like how does because you know chapter three just starts with, you know, spoiler alert again. Um, you know, we get into Jesus in that conversation with Nicodemus. Mm-hmm. So like, what is going on here? We just have this this wedding. We have this the story about the the um, chasing you know folks out of the temple, and then we have this idea that Jesus knows what's in man. What's what's going on? I think you can read it, and on the surface level, you can feel justified in some of our actions and say, "See, I knew not to get too attached to people. I knew not to trust people too much because they're always going to betray me, and so I need to guard myself." And I don't think that's what's going on. Um, I think. What, what John is getting at is, is Jesus in his perspective, yes, he knew that eventually Judas would betray him. He knew that the Pharisees would turn on him. He knew that the crowds would even turn on him one day. And so he was not, you know, he knew God's plan for his life. He knew what had to be done. And so I think there's an, an essence where he did not rely on everybody else within man to accurately reflect God's plan for his life, which I think is a distinction. And I think that's really hard, but Jesus wisely was not counting on mankind's wisdom on mankind's actions to direct and control his life okay and and so i don't think this is jesus you know being like hey i know you're sinners so i don't care about you enough and i'm not entrusting myself to you but i think as god he knew what had to be done in his life it was not going to let mankind's actions sway him from that. so so this could be like a almost like a segue and I'm not talking about the segues you write, but the but a joining of one story to another because you, what you have 
is these two stories, and, and it's not a surprise to Jesus that people acted these ways. Mm-hmm. It, was, it wasn't a surprise to Jesus that he needed to chase people out because he knows the, the heart of man. But then in chapter 3, when we get into Nicodemus, Jesus already knows his heart too. Mm-hmm. So so maybe that, okay, uh, so that could be a good you know, conjunction, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I think also you see these weird kind of interactions that Jesus has with people when he slips away from crowds because he knows they're getting ready to make him king or he does like weird ninja moves like where all of a sudden he just like disappeared it's like there's that one I think is it in Luke when he is about to be thrown off a cliff and all and he of a sudden just walks he through just them goes, yeah, yeah, yeah he does the I mean that's that's just classic awesome <laughs> Jesus in my mind but I, I think this is uh, Jesus's plan and what Jesus came to do was totally contrary to anything that anybody could ever imagine. Even Mary. Mary is kind of pushing Jesus into his mother. Mary is pushing Jesus into the spotlight in this instance because she knows who Jesus is. But they have in their mind exactly like what the Son of God is supposed to, what the Messiah is supposed to do. And so there's always this pressure. I think that Jesus is feeling like that the people are trying to push him to do different things, whether it's going to be like, reveal the kingdom of God, come into your glory. You know, when you come into your glory, am I going to be, who's going to be the greatest in your kingdom? You know, all of these things. And, and, and Jesus is constantly, like, patiently, I think, saying that this is not what the kingdom of God is like. This is not what I came to do. This is not the timetable that you have in mind is not exactly uh, what God has in mind or what God has intended or what my purpose is. And so I think Jesus had such a, uh, a singular focus. He was... But he wasn't impatient with people or impatient with the process. But he had such a, honed in such a focus on exactly what he came to do. And yeah. nothing necessarily deterred him from that. Of course, he knew all of this stuff was going to happen before it ever happened anyways. But I, I just think that that's a, a kind of revelation to me about my own heart is when I try to align Jesus to my purposes. Mm-hmm. And when I try to push him or try to place him in a position where I feel like he's got to come through in this place because this is what my agenda is. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then he is constantly kind of challenging that. But what he's doing is he's getting to different hearts of the matter. He's, dif- he's revealing God in different ways. He's revealing... Uh, we talked about this in our last podcast because we talked about the cleansing of the temple uh, in uh, Luke 19. And the same kind of thing is that Jesus was, he was getting rid of the money changers because they were exploiting people. Uh, and then you have this, he's revealing that God wants to give like amazing gifts in the turning water to wine. And so he's revealing different parts of God's character, but it just doesn't quite align to what people want Jesus to be. <laughs> yeah. And so there's, I think that, that John is putting this in there to say that, Everything that Jesus that, that people wanted Jesus to be, he continued to press against that and say, no, this is exactly what it's like. And, you know, it finally, I think it, John is, he has a unique perspective because I think he's one of, he's one of the last uh, living disciples. And so he, his perspective is so bird's eye when it comes to his gospel. Like he begins, like you said, Michael, with, in the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus, everything, you know, and then he, he, God was revealed through Jesus. And then he starts talking about all the stuff leading up to Jesus. And this is another instance where he's saying that basically our perspective of Jesus was wrong. We didn't quite have it, but Jesus came to do something different. And so, like you said, Jacob, he wasn't swayed by that because he knew what he needed to do and he knew what his purpose was and what he was going to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Do you guys um, ever watch, um, do you know who Simon Sinek is? If you ever listen to him, he's like a TED Talks guy. Um, I just watched something from him last night and it, it kind of, it doesn't necessarily tie in, but the spirit behind it maybe ties in a little bit with that, talking about Jesus, not entrusting it to the, himself to the people. Um, 
he was talking about in leadership, um, there's a time like you have it, one good thing that you can learn how to do and it's hard to do, but learn how to do is to speak last. Like if you're in a room with people, you go in, you present a question and you know, even though you formulated a plan for how to, how you think it would be best to do it, you want to go in and prose the question and then have everyone else around the room kind of pour into it first before you do, because there's value in one giving the people the feeling of value in that conversation, you know, but then two, you get the benefit of hearing everybody else's plan before you, before you interject into it as well. And I just feel like there's something of that spirit in that to where Jesus, Jesus knows, like he already knows what's going on. And there's times in leadership where you just don't completely entrust yourself to the people that are around you. There are times that you have to hold something back. And I think that's, that's just good leadership. And I think maybe that's I don't know. There's something about me feels like there's a little bit of that spirit in there as well. And then something else that you talked about, I think on our last podcast as well, a little bit, Daniel, was just an open-mindedness that we need to have or about the fact that we make assumptions a lot kind of within our own perspective of what we expect God to be. And I think that we always have to keep an open, open mind because we always need to understand that our perspective is so limited that we don't see nearly as much. And we can't just assume that we know what the next step is for what God or what Jesus is going to do. So I I just, that's something that I really feel like needs to be imparted to people more often is just like lay back and chill out. You don't know what's coming next. Just because it might fit into what you're seeing doesn't mean that it's going to be what is going to happen. Right. Mm -hmm. I 100% agree. And I think the the cool thing too is if you look in um, verse 17, um, after he's, you know, doing his thing in, in the temple, It says, his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. And it kind of made me think of another passage where Jesus is asking his disciples, he says, you know, who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the the son of God. And, And Jesus goes, you know, flesh and bones didn't reveal this to you. This was revealed to you from heaven. And so I think while, while Jesus is constantly doing things to the contrary, when we are in tune with who God is, what Jesus is doing in our life makes sense. Mm, that doesn't yeah. mean that we always understand everything, but we can see Jesus move. They had to know the scripture. They had to know God's words and to be able to remember, wait, you know, people are, are supposed to be passionate and, and zealous for God's house. That Peter was in tune with God and what the kingdom of God was doing in and through Jesus and what Jesus was doing to where he saw that he was the Messiah, the very Christ, the Son of God. And that wasn't something that he just realized on his own. And so I think if you're in a a situation where maybe you're like, you know what, I don't know if I'm leaning too much on left Jesus or I'm leaning too much on right Jesus, or if I just have no idea what God is even trying to do in my life and it's just confusing and nothing is making sense, spend time in the Word. Spend time in prayer, spend time in community with other believers who will point you towards God. Because otherwise, we we aren't going to understand what's going on in our life. We aren't going to be able to make sense of anything. And the goal is not to make sense of it, but it's to know Jesus more. And we have to see what Jesus is doing. And so I think that's, it's a really small verse, but it's like super impactful too, at least for me. That's a tough difference too. Mm -hmm. Knowing that you, you don't always you're not always going to understand him. But knowing him, you can trust in him, and you're okay with not understanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think one comes from the other. Yeah, I, I've been choking back. La- the, the listeners at home can't see. 
that I've been choking back, back laughter. Those you're talking about serious stuff because we, we had discussed before. I'm a I'm a Will Ferrell fan, right? <laughs> and this is so exactly what happens at that that dinner meal scene in Talladega Nights because he's he's praying to eight pounds six ounce baby Jesus, and 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 they have this this whole argument about. You know, he he's, he had a beard and he was a man and all this stuff, <laughs> and and he's like, no, but the baby Jesus is the one that I like the best. When you're praying, you can pray to bearded Jesus or teenage Jesus or whoever you want to, right? <laughs> so, but the thing is, is that's why Jacob talks about we need to to read scripture. We need to to see the what did Jesus say? What did Jesus do? Who is Jesus? Because you know, God made us in his image we can't make him in ours does that make sense yeah. can you repeat that <laughs> god made good. us in his image we can't make him in ours mm. and i think that's what that's what will Farrell's character was doing ricky bobby mm-hmm. is he was making he was putting you know making god what he wanted him to be mm-hmm. and and i think that we need to to really and that's the point here is john's book since we're in the beginning of this john's gospel he is trying to tell us who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. And I think we really need to take a good look at who Jesus is and not create Jesus to be what we want him to be, but figure out who is he. If we try and make God in our image, what do we end up with? It's Me. an idol. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. It's real strong, Michael. Speaking of idols, Brent. <laughs> you knew I had to, right? You knew I had to. I was to. hoping it wouldn't come. Being roasted. I wonder how old that gets for poor Brent, you know? Nah, it's okay. Methuselah old. It's okay, okay Michael. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, are you guys good to finish it up there? That feels like yeah. a good end to the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I like to... Typically, we try to time this podcast around 35 minutes or so, but um, I just really like if it feels like that's kind of the end of the conversation. I don't want to take it too far or Mm -hmm. not far enough. So, Um, all right. uh, Would somebody please pray for us as we we finish up here today after that? I feel like that was a really good conversation. Yeah, Uh, I will. Okay. Thanks, Daniel. Yeah. Uh, Lord, just thank you so much for all that you've done for us. Uh, every gift that you've given us, every time that we've been in need and you've provided in the sweetest type of ways. Uh, And so, Lord, I just thank you so much that through Jesus we see your character, we see your love for us, we see your pursuit for us. And uh, and so, God, I just pray that we would abandon any ideas or notions that we know what's best for our lives, that we know exactly how we should fashion Jesus to fit our needs and our purposes. And, and God, I just pray that we would then just abandon that and totally buy into Jesus, our Savior and Lord, and follow him recklessly and trust him, even when it maybe doesn't make sense, to know that you, Holy Spirit, can reveal stuff to us later on to see the work of, of Jesus in our lives. Uh, we see your faithfulness by looking back and seeing how you've brought us through so many things. And so, God, uh, I pray that if there is an unknown or if there is something that we are dealing with right now, God, that you would just give us the capacity and the ability to trust you, Jesus, to know that when the opportune time comes for the Holy Spirit to reveal to us that we will remember everything that you promised and everything that you did for us in those moments. Uh, So, God, we just... We ask that you would just come alive in our circumstances 
uh, right now and that we would um, trust you no matter what. And it's in your name. Amen. 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 Guys, thank you so much for joining us today on another episode of the Weekly Impact Podcast. Just a heads up to you guys. We are creeping up on our sports and art camp that we have every summer. Um, today's June 19th. It's coming up pretty soon. Uh, what are the dates again? Um, June 25th through 29th. That's a Monday through Friday, 6 to 8.30 each night. Yeah. So if you haven't registered your kids yet, um, we would love for you to, to bring them anyway. Um, there's You can register the day of if you just want to walk in as well. Um, but it's just an awesome thing that we do here that I think it's awesome. Um, a great way that we connect with the community, the kids that don't know Jesus, don't know much about him. We've seen a lot of, a lot of really impact on kids' lives when they come in for this sports and art camp. It doesn't have to be people that are just members of our church. Um, it's just a lot of fun, and we're really going all out this year, more than we really have, I think, any other we're time. We're adding so. section to it. That's going to be really cool. Yeah, awesome. So. And, and it, just so you guys know, too, we for years we've called it Sports and Arts Camp. This year it's actually Amped Summer Camp. It's something that we're doing a little bit different. So if you hear us refer to it either way, we're talking about the same thing. You can go to the homepage on our website, uh, top right corner. There's a, uh, an actual link that you can hit that you can register your kids if you want to register them before that. But anyway, just wanted to let you guys know about that. So thanks for joining us today, and we will talk to you next week.